great times. <laughs> All right, so I know that was a little lengthy, but um, I want to say that Welcome to those of you who are watching online. Probably didn't understand what that was all about. Uh, but that was about object permanence. Anybody ever heard of that? Object permanence? Uh, Jessica has. Uh, nobody else. Just, just Jessica. Uh, it is the ability to believe that something exists even when you don't see it anymore. Object permanence. And uh, it doesn't really develop in babies until about 18 months. And in this video, you see this dad, and he's basically trying to get his baby to remember where the cucumber is after hiding it. And with each reach, the baby is watching. The baby sees the whole thing and still gets confused about where the cucumber is. And since the baby has not developed the object permanence, then he can't conceptualize that the cucumber exists even though he can't see it. So every time it disappears, he thinks it's gone. You cannot develop object permanence with Jesus Christ unless you first receive the Holy Spirit. The only way that you can know that God is and that God is working and God is moving is that you have His Spirit on the inside of you. This is the reason why some people don't make it. Why some people don't last in the church and, and they get choked out by the cares of this life because uh, they have not truly seen Jesus in the first place. And, and even if they had, they couldn't tell you where He was and what He was doing in their life. And the opposite of this is really true as well, that those who have been given this, this spiritual sight by the Holy Ghost have this permanence, this object permanence, that to the degree that even in the midst of life storms and even when things get really, really difficult, they hold on to the faith that Jesus Christ is there. That He is there. Amen. So I want to talk to you about this subject today. Uh, you will discover He is there. Amen. This matters immensely. This matters so much because we are tempted a lot of times in our life to ask, is Jesus really there? Does, does this really matter? What, what is going on with my life? And there might be some people who get confused when you start talking about Jesus and what He can do in your life. And there's, they're just like, well, I don't get it because you can't see Him. And I don't, I don't know what the big deal is about this Jesus uh, you know, faith that you have in your life. But I can tell you that we've got to understand you will discover this as you uh, uh, seek to, to, to know Him more. You will discover that He is there. Amen. Amen. You, you cannot, uh, and I, I could have given you a lot of other scientific things, but you cannot seek to discover and not find Him there. The psalmist said, if I make my bed in hell... Thou art there. If I ascend up into the heaven, amen, it doesn't matter where I go. Wherever I go, you are there. Amen. I want you to know that He is there. Amen. And so I want to invite you today, amen, to start seeking after Him. If you don't know that He is there, start seeking Him and you will, because the Scripture tells us we know it to be true, if you seek, you shall find. Amen. So far in this series, we have been discussing some things about silence. The series about silence, about our quiet times when we don't necessarily hear from God like we'd like to hear from God. And we talked about how when things, when God seems to be silent, that we have to remember His faithfulness. 
sometimes he doesn't answer as soon as we want him to or d- does exactly what we think he should do. We have to remember he's always been faithful to us. And then we talked about that if God is silent, it doesn't mean that he doesn't care. And, and we also discussed that it's best for us to break the silence if our sin is what has caused the separation between us and God. And so uh, today we want to talk about how when God seems silent or far away, we must rejoice in His promise to draw near to those who draw near to Him. So with that in mind, I want you to stand and we'll read just a few Scriptures and then I'll let you be seated again. Psalm 73 and verse 21. Thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my reign. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. And I want us to focus on that last verse uh, throughout the whole uh, time together today. It says, but it is good for me to draw near to God. You will discover, if you draw near to Him, you will discover He is there. Lord Jesus, we uh, thank You for Your Word and what You're doing in our hearts and lives. Help us to respond to Your Word today, God. And we want to receive what You have for us. And Lord, we want to become everything that You have intended for our lives to be. And God, we will give You the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Thereby say amen. Amen. You can be seated. We can draw near to God by continuing to come into His presence and continuing to worship Him in faith even when we feel like nothing's happening. Amen. I I have been, many times in my life, I have been through things and I have have felt like I went to church and and it felt like there was nothing happening, that God wasn't there. And uh, I have been through services, I have been through periods of my life where I felt like, Uh, God, are you there? Do you even hear what I'm praying? Are you even listening to me anymore? And and as I felt that, a lot of times when I would get through that time and I would look back, I would see how much He actually was there. I would discover that He had been there the whole time and He he had never let me down. He was always there, amen, throughout the circumstance. And I will tell you today that as you read uh, this psalm, Psalm 73, uh, the psalmist is, is greatly agitated because of envy and self-pity as he beholds the seeming prosperity of the godless while he himself is suffering unjustly in verses 1 through 10 he says truly God is good to Israel even to such as are of a clean heart but as for me my feet were almost gone My steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain, violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness, and they have more heart than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily, and they set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore His people return hither and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. In this horrible uh, scenario, the psalmist is talking about how 
you know, this is bad. God's people are the ones that are being uh, despaired. And, and, and the ones who are doing unjustly are the ones who are prospering. And it seems like nobody cares. It seems like nobody's even paying attention. And, and, he, and he says some, some things like, this is why they're wrung out. This is why uh, God's people feel so down. This is why it seems like there's no hope for them. And, and so he has this, let's just call it what it is. He has a spiritually fatal attitude. Because what he's saying in these first ten verses, if they are actually true, then God is very unjust and God is not good to us. But what he's saying is not true. It's just his perception of what is going on. And he's got this, this spiritually fatal attitude and he's, he's tempted to renounce his faith and he's, attempted, he's really tempted to agree with the godless that God is too far away to even notice or care about what we're going through. And so look what he says in verse 11. And they say, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? God doesn't even care. He doesn't even know what you're going through. Verse 12, Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. The ones that are mocking God. They're the ones that are increasing. They're the ones that seem like they're getting ahead. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain. It, was, it did me no good. And I have washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued. And I have uh, been chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of that children. And what he's saying here, he's saying, man, this has been so bad, I can, there's nothing I can say or do. I might as well just throw in the towel here. And he's so, he's so oppressed by his bad attitude. He's so, let's just, let's just call it what it is, he's so ticked off that God isn't acting the way he thinks God should act. God's not doing what He thinks God should do. And then verse 16 comes. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then understood I their end. It wasn't until I came into the house of God, it wasn't until I got into the presence of God that I truly understood that His ways are always good. That what He's doing, I don't have to understand, but that I can trust Him and I can have faith in Him. It's when I enter into the sanctuary. It's when I come into the house of God. It's when I get into His presence that things start to make sense. I get a better perspective of life. I get a perspective of what's going on in the world. It's when I enter into His presence. And suddenly in verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I therein. He said in verse 16, when I thought to know this, when I, when I tried to understand and it was just too painful for me, but then I went into His presence. When I went to worship, when I came to the place of worship, when I came to the place where, where, I, where I got the right perspective and my, my mind was altered to understand what was good and what was right, that's when I understood that God is really as good as He says He is. That God really cares about me. And I discovered that He was there all along. Amen. It's powerful to understand and to see this transformation in David's life because worship changes everything in our life. We can come in to the house of God and we can have a bad attitude. 
But you can't worship with a bad attitude. When you begin to praise and you begin to worship God, your attitude changes. It's amazing what happens. You know, sometimes we don't need behavioral modification. We just need a good worship service where people just lift up their hands and say, God, I surrender everything to you. And I worship you because you are high. You are holy. You are good. You are righteous. And everything about you is awesome. God, I thank you for what you've done in my life. And God, I thank you because you've given me everything that I have. And every good and perfect gift has come from you. And I thank you today. Worship changes everything because it changes our understanding. It changes our perspective. It moves us into an eternal position of seeing and it reminds our minds of what is really important. We start thinking about things that are really important. We come in and we bring all that baggage into the sanctuary, but then in a worship service, in a, in a time, amen, where God's presence moves and His power is doing things and we respond to that in worship, there's something that takes place because well, what, was, what was on the outside when I was looking around and I was listening to the news and I was watching Facebook and seeing what everybody had to say, I started getting ticked off. God, how can you let that happen? And how can you uh, put up with that? And God, I don't even know that you're listening to me. God, you're blessing them and, and they're doing all this evil stuff and God how can you let them get away with that and do you even care that your people are here and do you care what we're going through and don't you even see and he said I was so ticked off and he said it was so painful I couldn't even think about it anymore but then I went into the sanctuary of God and it changed I got a perspective a rearrangement I, I, I got something that I needed when I got to the house of God when I got into the sanctuary the worship Changed everything. Amen. And then he started talking and he said, Yeah, surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with tears? And then he starts looking around and saying, Not everybody's doing this. Not everybody's. Ma-. You know what, God, you are taking care of things. He said, As a dream, when one awakens, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. And then look at verse 21. He says, Thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and arrogant. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. I want you to notice his attitude change. He said, I was senseless. I was ignorant. I was like a beast. I was like a brute beast. I was acting like an animal, God. Forgive me for acting like an animal. Anybody want to just be honest and say sometimes you act like a big dumb animal? God, I just don't understand. And you, you mouth off and then you get in the presence. Of God, you're so good. I was just a big dumb animal before I got here. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Amen. I can't tell you how many times I've come into the presence of God and my whole attitude changed because of His power and His presence that met me there. There is in us, uh, Tim Keller says, there is in us a fierce, instinctive self-will as unthinking and inhuman as that of a wild beast. Deep in us, something snarls. No one tells me what to do. Only by admitting this darkness can the glorious Word of grace yet dawn on Him. Think about that. It's it's not until I admit, oh, wow, 
maybe I do have a problem. Maybe I am a little stubborn. Maybe I am self-willed. It's quiet. I'm just going to let it sink in. Because I'm, 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 I'm preaching. I'm almost done preaching right now. But, but some of you, your, your conscience needs to preach to you because you've been, you've been acting self-willed. Led. You've, been, you've been led by your own desires. You've been led by your own wants. And you came into the sanctuary today and the worship has been here. God is, is meeting us here. You can, you, know, you can sit through a lot of that, but there comes a time whenever you feel the presence of God and you've got to make a choice whether or not you will respond. And I can't make you respond. Nobody can make you respond. But I can tell you that those, those questions, those doubts, and those fears that, that you might have, God, will you really catch me? Are you really there? Do you really care? Do you love me enough? Is there enough grace for me? I can tell you that if you'll respond in His presence, I can tell you, you will discover He is there. Amen. He is there and He is enough. Yes. And no matter what you go through, you will discover what the psalmist discovered. Amen. You will figure it out. He is there. And He cares about me. He cares about what I'm going through. And finally, He gets it. The psalmist has an important breakthrough with eternal perspective. His attention shifts away from his troubles. And let's look at verse 25. He says, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. He starts looking to God. He quits looking at his troubles. That's our problem most of the time. We, we are always looking at our troubles. We are always magnifying our troubles and minimizing our God. Instead, we got to start minimizing our troubles and maximizing our God. Magnify Him. Lift Him up. Worship Him. Amen. Because we can take refuge in declaring that in the end, at least in the end, this is what David was saying, I know when it all comes down, I have you. When it's all said and done, and my life is broken down, and there's nothing left, you're enough. That's all I need. I don't need other things. I don't need other relationships. I don't need, I don't need other, uh, other things to weigh me down. I just... You're enough. And he says, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none on earth that I desire beside thee. And then he says, My, my, my flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And then he says in verse 27, For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. So, so it kind of dawns on him. He says, look, uh, in the end, you're my portion. In the end, I've got you. And then it dawns on him. And everybody else that goes a-whoring after him of these other things, yeah, they don't end up so well. And he says, verse 28, but it is good for me draw near to God. After all this, after he finally gets it, he comes to this, this realization. You know, 
it's really better if I'll just trust you now. It's really better if I'll just know that you are there and that you care and I can discover through worship and through coming closer to you that you really love me and you really want what's best for me. It's best if I come to that now. Because all those that don't, that's going to be a bad day for them. But then he says, but it's good for me to draw near. I put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. Man, I'm telling you, he starts verse 2 and he, he, he is just, my feet are almost gone, my steps slipped, I'm, I'm losing it here. And then in the last verse he says, wait a second, it's good for me to draw near to you. When I draw near to you in worship, when I come humbly before you, when I, when I uh, realize how good you are and I start to recognize that and I, I talk about how good you are and my life starts to declare worship of how great you are, there's just something that takes place. I will declare the words. I'm going to draw near. It's good for me to draw near to you. It's bad for me to stay away. It's bad for me to have uh, be in a place where my feet are slipping and, and I'm losing my mind, but it's good for me to draw it's good for me to be in your presence. It's good for me to worship you and draw near and seek after you. It's good because I can declare all your works. Amen. Would you stand with me? If you can't see or you can't hear or you can't feel Jesus right now, keep drawing near. But you don't understand what I'm going through. I, I know. There's people in this room that are going through some traumatic things and I want you to know, amen, you're not alone. We're here with you, but i, I got to say even further than that, you got to know that He is there. He is there. Amen. Keep drawing near to Him. Come humbly before Him. Come in repentance. Come in faith. And you will break the silence. You will discover what the psalmist did, that He is there. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I open up this altar today. For those of you that were wondering and those of you that are questioning and you may have a doubt or a concern, let me just remind you that He is there. Why don't you come today? Amen. Why don't you just lift up your hands and worship Him? Let all doubt and fear and anxiety melt away today in this place where you can get a fresh perspective. No matter what work has been thrown, your family situations or relationships or uh, sickness or finances, have been uh, really weighing you down and you've been looking around and you can't understand why some people are doing good and you're not doing good but God is good all the time. Amen. You can come and you can have your eternal perspective rearranged today in His presence. Why don't you come today?